If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a board-certified family physician, best-selling author, speaker, and executive leadership coach. I help physicians transition into leadership roles so that they can become the respected voice in healthcare. So I am excited today to bring another awesome guest to our podcast, Dr. Nicole Rochester. Dr. Nicole is going to be speaking with us today about diversity in healthcare leadership. I think this is a really important topic and definitely wanted to bring her on and have her share her expertise and her wisdom with us around this topic of diversity. So I'm going to read Dr. Um, Nicole Rochester's bio, and then we're going to get into some questions and be able to speak with her about, again, this really important topic in healthcare. So Dr. Nicole T. Rochester is a board-certified pediatrician, professional health advocate, TEDx, and keynote speaker, and CEO of Your GPS Doc LLC, an innovative company that helps aging individuals, those with chronic illnesses, and their family caregivers navigate the healthcare system. Dr. Rochester was inspired to start her company after caring for her late father and witnessing the complicated healthcare system from the other side of the stethoscope. In addition to her health advocacy practice, Dr. Rochester has an active presence on social media and provides useful tips and information on her YouTube show, Navigator Nuggets, which is a great show. You have to check it out. She has been featured on television, is a frequent podcast guest, and has contributed to numerous digital publications. Dr. Rochester is a health equity champion and consultant and is committed to using her personal and professional insight to positively transform the healthcare system. Dr. Rochester obtained her undergraduate degree from Johns Hopkins University, her medical degree from the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and completed her pediatric residency training at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. She serves on the board of trustees for the Maryland Health Education Institute and is a member of the Alliance of Professional Health Advocates, the National Association of Healthcare Advocacy, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the National Medical Association, 
Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Yes, my sister. And she is happily married and the proud mother of two daughters. So welcome, Dr. Nicole, to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm excited that you're here. Thank you, Dr. Nicole. I am excited to be here. Yes. So I really wanted to talk with you about this topic around diversity and healthcare leadership. In addition to it being Black History Month, we just celebrated National Women's Physicians Day. We just celebrated National Black Women Physicians Day. All of these things that we are celebrating and starting to, I think, embrace and recognize the importance of diversity. So I wanted to first start out just by asking you, when you think about your career, when you think about your leadership journey and where that has led you today, who or what would you say was most instrumental in helping you to make that decision to get to where you are today? I think in reflecting my leadership journey, I was in preparation for this interview, I was drawn to my kindergarten report card. (laughs) And you'll understand why in a minute, but uh, I won't reveal the date. But my kindergarten teacher wrote this as a comment on my report card. She said, Nicole has strong leadership qualities, but will dominate the situation if given the opportunity. (laughs) Wow. I think like many of us, I think I must have been or must be a natural born leader. I definitely have always kind of had a relatively strong personality. And I've always been the person in my friend group, even as a child, who would try to organize the games and figure out who's the leader and make sure that everyone was following the rules properly and things like that. So I think that (laughs) instinctively, I've had leadership qualities for some time, even though I wasn't always willing to acknowledge that. And just in my medical career, I frequently found myself in positions where I would be kind of the new kid on the block and then I would be kind of thrust into leadership roles. And it always made me feel a little uncomfortable because I often would be kind of the younger person in the group. And then I would be given these roles. And that happened to me a couple of times where I got promoted fairly quickly to be like the medical director of a group within a year of joining the group. And at first I was honestly, a little bit annoyed about that. Like, why do they keep doing this? Like, I'm just trying to be the worker bee. And then finally, I started to embrace that. I guess there was just some qualities within me that other people saw that made me a great leader. So I think in terms of my leadership journey, you know, some of it is just that innate quality. And others, I think, really have to do with my personal, my professional experiences and my ability to use those to kind of shape my career. So, you know, now I am the CEO of Your GPS Doc. I'm a health advocate, um, but that's not what I planned on doing. I mean, I planned on being a pediatrician for my entire life. And as you read in my bio, you know, I was a caregiver from my dad. And that just caused a total pivot in how I saw the healthcare system and just kind of planted this desire within me to implement and bring about change in a system that. I kind of felt a victim of, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never felt that way before as a practicing physician. So I think part of leadership is just being open to those experiences and to letting them guide you into sometimes scary places. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, you definitely said it. A lot of us as leaders, I think that you know, initially it it comes naturally, right? It's something that we were either just born with. It's been with us for many, many years. But the more important thing I think that you said was that 
leaders often want to solve a problem. They want to create change. They want to see things done differently and will definitely step up to the plate and use those experiences. Like you said, like in your case, being a healthcare advocate for your dad and seeing that there was a need for that and stepping up and filling that role and making sure that other people were empowered with information to be able to do the same. So definitely. So when you look at sort of what you do on a day-to-day basis as a healthcare advocate, as a health equity champion, what does that really look like? Who do you serve? What problems do you solve? Explain to us and take us down a day in the life of Dr. Nicole Rochester. Wow. A day in my life is, if I feel like every day looks different, I'll address the two roles separately. So as a health advocate, really the problem that I solve is one of overwhelm and confusion. If I were to just sum it up, what I found that when I was caring for my dad, along with my two older sisters, is that even as a healthcare professional, it was very difficult. You know, there were so many things about the system that I didn't understand even as a physician. And then beyond that, there were just so many unnecessary barriers that stood between my dad and his care providers, between me and my sisters and the care providers. And so some of the things that I do when working directly with family caregivers is helping them understand their diagnosis. You and I know that, you know, most people have 10, 15 minutes in the office with their doctors. And while the doctors would love to spend more time with them, they're just not able to. And so most people leave that appointment with a very, very little knowledge of what's really going on with them, not much understanding about what needs to happen next and why these things are so important. And so part of my job as a health advocate is really to be a translator for my clients and to help them understand the information that was shared. Sometimes that's with me being present in real time these days via Zoom or on the phone, on speaker, but being physically present virtually in the exam room with them and helping them formulate questions ahead of time so that they can communicate effectively with their doctors. A lot of it, unfortunately, is kind of fighting insurance companies and, you know, sometimes helping them overcome denials or helping them get the care that they need, helping them understand their insurance policies and what's covered and what isn't covered, and really kind of just being a liaison between the medical team and the patient and their family members. You know, it's really hard to be sick and also overwhelmed with all of these tasks. And, And the family members, particularly if they don't have a medical background, are typically just very overwhelmed And um, they often felt shut out. They often felt like they're not listened to. So I kind of serve as that voice for them and for their loved ones, helping them understand their medications, you know, helping them seek second opinions. It's so much, but really everything related to ensuring that their loved one receives appropriate medical care. And then as a health equity champion, it's really working with healthcare institutions and organizations to help them uncover their uh, racist policies, which many people, you know, you hear the word racism and everybody's like, I'm not racist, but it's helping them understand that systemic racism exists in all systems and definitely in healthcare systems and helping them communicate effectively with their patients of color, with their healthcare workers of color, and just really beginning to dismantle some of the systemic um, and structural barriers that exist that really create these inequities for Black and Brown people, both within the healthcare system and 
outside of the healthcare system. Something I'm really excited about right now is that I've been working with a few organizations related to the coronavirus vaccine and the hesitancy that we're seeing and really helping them to understand the root of that hesitancy. Oh, right. you know, and, and let's right. not vilify the people who are appropriately worried about the vaccine. So helping them understand the history and the medical mistrust, and then from there, helping them develop strategies to address that. That's such important work, Dr. Nicole, because I think that that is usually not something that's addressed in a lot of situations, right? A lot of problems that we face and a lot of challenges that we face is we don't get to the root cause. Yes. <laughs> we want to sweep it under the rug. We want to gloss over it. We want to not be in a room and feel like people don't want to have conflict is what they call it. They don't want to raise any hairs or try to engage in any conversation for fear or, or whatever it is of, again, causing conflict. So I think that getting at the root cause is so important and it's really going to help us to move forward. And I think that even in healthcare disparities, when we look at that as well, a lot of it is not understanding why people are not taking their medication and why they're not going to the doctor and why, and why they're not doing all these things. Not they're just non-compliant. There's usually a cause, a root cause behind it. So, exactly. so very, very important work. And what has it looked like now, I guess, in terms of now that we're in this pandemic as your role as a healthcare advocate, how is that different or how is that more challenging now for you? That's a great question. I think for me, the reality is that even before the pandemic, a large majority of what I was doing for my clients, I was able to do it remotely. And so I already was kind of adapting even before I knew that, you know, we were going to have to be remote. So certainly there, it does pose some additional challenges, particularly for my clients who are caregivers and are not able to be at that bedside. So if anything, I think I have to be even a stronger voice. And, you know, really just make, I mean, it involves lots of phone calls and leaving lots of messages and more phone calls and just really making sure that the team stays in regular communication, um, not only with me, but also with the, the patient and with the family members. You know, I had a client early on who actually had COVID and back when, you know, the doctors and nurses didn't have adequate PPE, they really weren't going into the rooms. They were kind of limiting their interactions with the patients. And so he would tell me that, you know, he would get a visit in the morning and then he would pretty much go all day without really having a lot of contact with the healthcare team, you know, other than medications and things right. like that. So he just felt that he didn't know what was going on, that he didn't have opportunities to really engage in conversation because they were literally avoiding his room because he had right. COVID and that can definitely be challenging. I mean, I think that we know that our healthcare system is dangerous, that medical errors are the third leading cause of death. And I know firsthand as a former caregiver to my dad, that that family caregiver is key in preventing medical errors. We're the ones who usually know the bulk of the medical history Mm -hmm. A lot of times that's not documented properly in the medical record. And so the family caregiver is often the one who's filling in those gaps. And family caregivers are the ones who can pick up on some of those subtle changes before the vital signs start to go wonky. Right. You know? And so it's just been hurting my heart that for almost a year now, they have not been able in most states 
to be present at that bedside and to be a critical member of that healthcare team. So that's been challenging for sure. Definitely. So back to, I think I want to talk a little bit more about the diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare, particularly in leadership. So when we look at diversity in leadership, as far as for us as African-American women physicians, we're only 2%, right, (laughs) of the entire physician pool. One-fifth of the C-suite are made up of women physicians. 9% of CEOs and healthcare leadership are minorities. So the numbers are really, really small. And obviously, we need to address that. But I really want to start by just defining sort of what diversity, inclusion, and equity mean to you when it comes to leadership Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to serving the underserved. Because I think for a lot of people, that word or those terms mean different things. And a lot of what we're trying to get at is lost in the explanation of the word. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for me, diversity, it really means having differences, you know, having differences within certain settings. So certainly as it relates to leadership, having people of different genders, different races, ethnicity, religious background, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, different physical and cognitive abilities, really just truly having and celebrating differences among individuals within a setting is how I would define diversity. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So based on that definition, why is it important for organizations to really embrace diversity, inclusion, and equity in their organizations? Especially when I look at like now how a lot of, again, healthcare disparities are becoming uncovered, especially during this pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing how the virus is affecting more black and brown people, how we're the last to get vaccinated. And a lot of it isn't because we don't want to. Some of it is just because it's not available to us. So when we look at those things, why should we be really focused on diversity, inclusion, and equity in the healthcare space, especially in leadership? Well, I think, you know, it starts at the top, just like anything else. You know, I don't think that we can expect to deliver equitable care. I didn't give you a definition for equity, but it's really, you know, making sure that everyone has access to what they need. So if we're talking about healthcare, that they have access to everything that they need to get their best health. We're talking about leadership. Do I have access to the same opportunities that my male colleagues or my white colleagues have? So I think in healthcare, you know, we really can't expect to deliver equitable care to those in our community if we don't model that within our own institutions. And the studies have shown certainly within clinical care, we know that generally patients of color have better outcomes when they are cared for by physicians and other healthcare providers who look like them. And I think part of that is just that we understand the struggle and you know we are intimately familiar. There's that cultural competency. And I think that's just as important in leadership. I think that a lot of leaders have been leading really under kind of this whole colorblind phenomenon, which they thought was, that's great. Like, I'm not racist. I don't see color. But when you don't have a diverse leadership, then you're going to have blind spots. You know, you're not just colorblind, but you're blind. blind. Right. And there are going to be issues that you just won't really see because when you're in that majority, when you're in that position of power, it's just very difficult to really understand the plight 
of the marginalized. And so I think that's why it's just so incredibly important that you do have diverse leadership, because I think we're just more likely to be in touch with some of those, even if they're not necessarily our personal issues. Right. Um, We have friends, we have family members, or many of us have gone through some things before we made it to where we are today. And so I think just having that depth and that breadth of insight that comes with having a diverse workforce and diverse leaders, there's nothing like it. I mean, you can't replace that. So I think that um, it's important that that is a priority for all institutions, particularly healthcare. Absolutely. And and based on what you were just saying, it reminded me of when I actually was a medical student and I was training in the hospital and not really kind of understanding the whole breadth of healthcare disparities. Obviously, I knew. Right. But you don't really know until, you know, until you (laughs) until you really get in there. And I think what became apparent was how important it was for me to be there, for us to be there. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when you go on rounds and you're talking to a patient of ethnic background, whether it's African-American or such, and they're telling their story and then you can just see how no one's really hearing them or they're not understanding what they're saying. But you have that connection because either you've experienced it, like you said, some of your family's experienced it. You understand sort of the, I don't want to call it the lingo, but the way in which they are sort of expressing themselves. And unless you really know that and can pick up on it or know some cultural background, it becomes that much harder, I think, to treat the patient in totality, right? Because something's missing. Yeah. And then there's all these biases and we even have bias. I mean, even those of us who are Black have anti-Black bias, but there's all this bias certainly that the majority have and it impacts the way that they interact with patients and, you know, how much time Mm -hmm. it's all been studied, how much time they spend with patients, you know, literally their body language, are they leaning in or are they kind of sitting back and, you know, having that kind of a closed posture and the patients pick up on that. So it just fuels this relationship, this tense relationship often between Mm -hmm. people of color and the healthcare industry. And you're right. I mean, there's nothing, I'm sure you've had this experience where somebody, you know, you walk into a room and the patient just lights up. And they're just so excited. (laughs) They're like, oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so, I'm so happy to have a doctor that looks like me. And the same is true, you know, going back to the leadership, when you are a a physician or another healthcare worker, if you work in an institution, a healthcare institution, that there are people that look like you in that C-suite, it's the same thing. It provides a sense of comfort. You kind of feel Mm -hmm. safer that there are people who look like you that are making decisions. So it's just so incredibly important. Yes, absolutely. So when we talk about this whole plight of diversity and inclusion, what would it take for organizations to really achieve diversity and inclusion in the workplace? What are some of the things they would have to do differently? To me, a lot of it has to do with policies. I mean, I think that First, we have to acknowledge it. I mean, let's start there because there's still so many people that are just, they just don't want to believe that anything is wrong. And I feel like we're finally getting past that, but we have to acknowledge that there is a lack of diversity and we have to acknowledge why there's a lack of diversity. I'm not here for the, there aren't enough qualified women or there aren't enough qualified black people, or we just don't know where to find them. Like those excuses are done. And so we have to acknowledge that there are systems in place that systematically prevent 
qualify people of color, women, you know, et cetera, from reaching that C-suite level. And then we have to look at our policies, even starting with HR. I mean, how do you recruit? Where do you go to seek candidates for these positions? And even internally, are the steps to get there readily available? Are they readily known to all of the employees? Or is there an old boys network that the whole water cooler thing, or maybe they go, they're on a golf course and they're building relationships and finding out what they need to do to work their way up to the top. And the other individuals are kind of left out of those discussions. So I think we have to look at how we recruit individuals and, you know, how we find our talent. And then again, internally, how we share information and how do we do, are we mentoring our employees of color? Are we providing mentorship and sponsorship so that they have the tools going back to that equity piece? Do they have the tools that they need so that they can succeed and be on an equal footing with some of their colleagues? And then retention is important because some people just want to be able to check the box and say, okay, I've hired a woman, I've hired a black person, I've hired a Latino, but it's like, what are you doing to make me feel comfortable once I'm there? Is it a hostile environment so that your people of color are leaving within six months of being hired? Once they get up to that C-suite, are they welcomed? Are they included in conversations? Are their voices welcomed or are they silent? So it takes really just an examination of the current culture and then a commitment to really just tear it down and build it back up again. (laughs) Yes, yes. I love those. You know, all of those points that you mentioned are really important. And I think that all organizations should actually look at all of those areas to see where they can improve, you know, or where they can change things and make things better um, in order for them to be able to achieve the diversity and inclusion. I think that's representative of the people that they serve. That's it. Right? Yes. Yeah. So this has been a great discussion, Dr. Nicole. Thank you so much. I think, you know, definitely anyone listening is going to be able to resonate with some of the things that you have said. Is there any last parting words that you would like to share with us at all? I guess the last parting words. Well, first, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this amazing podcast. I I just want to ask everyone to, you know, make a commitment to do better. Dr. Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. better. And so now we know better that the blinders have been removed. We can no longer pretend that racism does not exist in our country, in our educational system, our healthcare system. And we have what we need. I mean, we have the tools, we have the talent, we have the amazing minds that can truly make a difference. And so I think we just have to commit to the process and be open to doing better. Yes, absolutely. Thank you again, Dr. Nicole. This has been, again, a great, great conversation. You are welcome back anytime. So anytime you want to come back and share your words of wisdom with us, please feel free to do so. Thank you, Dr. Lisa. Okay. Everyone who is watching and listening, Dr. Nicole Rochester, you can find her on all social media at your, Y-O-U-R-G-P-S, Doc. And yes, she has some great information on her website. So go to her website. She has a health care or a health summary is what you're calling it for families to document the health history of their family members, which is so important nowadays, especially since, again, like she said, it's difficult to be at the bedside. So that's an important tool I think that you should have. So go to her website and grab that. 
And again, thank you for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.